This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to More Than Amused podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another week with More Than Amuse. My name is Sadie. And I'm Stani. And thanks, guys. We have so many new listeners. It's really exciting. So thanks Mm -hmm. for being here. And this is going to be a great episode. Yeah, I was going to say, when you texted me, like, have you seen Pride and Prejudice? I was like, have I seen Pride and Prejudice? First off, I love that movie. And I was very (laughs) curious. And then you're like, because I'm doing Jane Austen this week. I was like, oh, okay, good. That makes sense. (laughs) And though, yeah, I had to make sure because here is a little published fact, unpublished fact about me. I said that wrong. I am on Jane Austen TikTok. I don't brag about it. It's not highly shared or anything. But do you I brag about it? Though. I know, but I could. Do I get Pride and Prejudice memes at least once every day? Yes, I do. Do I enjoy them? Of course. <laughs> so that kind of is what sparked it is I started seeing a lot of those. And then um, I was looking for an audiobook to listen to the other day because I had listened to a bunch of music and I had run out of podcast episodes. And I was like, you know what? I have start started and not finished Pride and Prejudice multiple times over the course of my life, like mm-hmm. so many times. And it's just because the language isn't that hard, you know, like being a theater but kid. classic, no- sitting down and like sitting a yes. classic novel. It's difficult. That's not casual reading. <laughs> no, it's not. So it's like, even though I can understand it, does it take a little bit more brain effort than most of us are used to nowadays? Of course it does. <laughs> so yeah, it does. I had never actually finished it. And I was like, you know what? I want to. I want to be able to say I've read Pride and Prejudice. I've seen practically every movie. My mom is a huge Jane Austen fan. We own like a every single version practically of her work. <laughs> That's good. Um, and she's read every single novel. So I was like, you know what? We're going to read it. And it's only 10 hours of listening. And it's actually nice. for free on Spotify. I think all of her novels Ooh. are because they're public domain. So if you're looking for it, you can find multiple different recordings of Pride and Prejudice, Emma, Sense and Sensibility, Persuasion, Mansfield Park, like all of them on there. I would not have even thought Mm -hmm. to check Spotify for audiobooks. That's amazing. And that it's free because you're right, like public domain. Exactly. The only issue is if you click off of it and go to a different song or something and then try to go back, it does not save your spot. Oh, that's so that is the only issue. So if you're going to listen to it on Spotify, you cannot listen to anything else (laughs) until you're done or you have to keep track of where you start and stop for 10 hours. (laughs) Yes, but it's in two tracks. So it's five hours and then five hours. And that's how they do all of them. I think Um, I've also started Emma and I made it through the first five hours of that. And I have 10 hours left because it's longer. But okay, yeah. 
So that's kind I've of been looking what for new things to this. listen to while I'm working at home. Maybe I'll be mm-hmm. listening to Jane Austen this week. Now. Yes, you should. I would highly recommend it. The audiobooks make it a little bit easier to digest just because like yeah. the different like when I was studying Shakespeare in junior high and high school, I remember I would read it out loud to myself because the inflection of mm-hmm. voice and hearing it out loud, you're able to understand it a lot better than reading it in your head. So it would be my same advice to anyone. If you're going to read it like on the page, read it out loud to yourself or to someone else. And if you don't want to do that, which is understandable, <laughs> then just listen to it and then someone else will be doing it for you. Especially since so many of the recordings hire voice actors to play the different parts. So it makes it a little bit more entertaining. So it's almost like you're listening to a really long movie. Yep. And it's fun. So that's like what that. inspired this episode. But I guess I wanted to ask, like, when do you remember first interacting with Jane Austen in some way in your life well I think so my mom's favorite movie is the Pride and Prejudice like with Kira Knightley and so I like it's kind of like her comfort movie like whenever she does laundry whenever she's like really doing anything she'll just turn on that movie and so I grew up just like watching it with my mom mm-hmm. all the time like like my teenage years would be like mom do you want to watch Pride and Prejudice on a Saturday morning while we do the laundry Yes, let's do it. I love that. So it became my comfort movie, too, Mm -hmm. where it's like whenever I was sad and, you you know, like sometimes you just need a movie where you know exactly what's going to happen. Exactly. Pride and Prejudice is one of like my top comfort movies. It's really great. I love that. Like the scene when she's like in the rain and I know. Like one word from you would silence me forever. And you're just like, oh, Mr. Darcy, I love you. <laughs> the fun it, thing is, too, so is good. like, like, it's funny. Like we watch it when you're younger and then like you watch it you're when you're older. And it's like, wow, I miss so many plot points. Um, <laughs> I know. But I still loved it so much. <laughs> yeah. No, yesterday I took some time and watched a lot of the versions of her movies again since I couldn't finish mm-hmm. every book. <laughs> before we did this even though my mom wanted me to (laughs) she told me I should read every single novel before we record this episode and I was like mom like that's gonna be months (laughs) yeah I was like I don't have time for that I know she only has six books but I still can't (laughs) but um yeah so I watched a lot of the movies yesterday and I was remembering bits and pieces from watching them over my childhood but Mm -hmm. then being able to actually watch them as an adult I was like oh like everything finally makes sense (laughs) like it all clicks this last christmas actually or i don't remember what holiday it was but i went to my was it in my mother-in-law and like jordan's sister was there as well so my sister-in-law mother-in-law and i brought up this movie and they're like oh we actually haven't seen it and i was (gasps) like you haven't seen Pride and Prejudice? Like with Kira Knightley? Anyways, so I got to introduce them to that mm-hmm. this last year and it meant I was like, okay, good. I yeah. feel like I'm like doing something like some type of like missionary work, you know, of like, all right, spreading the good name of Pride and Prejudice. I love this movie, love this story. It's great. Seriously, that movie is a work of art. Like it truly mm-hmm. is. I actually the opening piano number, I oh. know it on piano. I learned it in high school because I was so obsessed with that song. And it's so good. Yeah, it was the last thing I did before I quit piano lessons. I wanted to learn that song. <laughs> well, way to end on a high note. Yeah, it's such a pretty, like, it's such pretty music in that movie. And the cinematography is just, like, stunning. So if you're going to start anywhere, start with that one. Cause it's it's like, pretty easy to digest that oh, movie. Oh, yeah. And it's by far, it's like, 
her probably her most popular novel by far, and mm-hmm. I, I love that version of the movie. So watch it. Everyone go watch Pride and Prejudice. The 2005. Yes. Okay. Well, awesome. Let's dive in. A little disclaimer here. State of the arts is going to kind of be like dappled throughout because I could not separate it. And so much of... Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Of everything that information, like I was finding bits and pieces about it and I couldn't figure out how to like separate them from the facts about her. So it's just going to okay, be cool. integrated. But once again, it's 19th century. We've talked about the 19th century a ton. So I feel like mm-hmm. if you've listened to a lot of our other podcasts around that time period, then you'll have a pretty good idea of what era we're talking about. Basically, a little bit more freedom for women, but not as much as we have now. There you go. <laughs> like we're getting somewhere, but we got a lot of work to go. <laughs> exactly. Um, and one of the hard things about Jane Austen is that we actually have very little knowledge about her life. Over the course of her lifetime, it's believed she written as many as 3,000 letters, but we only have 161 that survived. And the reason is because in 1843, her older sister Cassandra burned like a ton of her letters and cut pieces out of the ones that she did keep. So they're high, like heavily, heavily edited letters that we do have. And the reason that she gave for doing it was because she didn't want her sister's letters to fall into the hands of relatives and like other family members or neighbors um, who she had written unfavorable comments about, Hmm. which, okay, valid. But at the same time, like this is a very celebrated author. (laughs) Yeah. And we have like hardly any of her writings throughout her life other than her books. However, she believed that it was in her best interest because she said that Jane had a penchant of forthrightness that she didn't think would put her sister in a very favorable light. So I love that. Yeah. So she was like, she was a little bit too bold. So I don't want anyone to read her stuff. Like, Okay. She's like, I don't want anyone thinking anything bad about her. We're just deleting all the evidence. Um, uh Her nephew did write a biography about her or a memoir about her in 1869. It was published, I believe. So it's Jane Austen, her life and letters. And it has some of the excerpts from letters that did survive. At that time, though, he did destroy more letters of hers too that her sister hadn't already published so her family literally like burned (laughs) practically everything that was left of her and this leads to kind of a weird conundrum because you have a very celebrated female author who people want to write stories about right I think there's even the movie like Becoming Jane or something that they made however none of it can be really credible because the few biographical materials we do have are very edited and it gives this idea that Jane Austen was like a very sweet calm quiet girl when in reality Mm. she probably was like clever and really like I mean if they were so bad that the sister was like no it'd be better for us to just like wipe her legacy here than for people to see this which I doubt like I have a feeling she's being a bit dramatic about that assessment but even still (laughs) yeah so it just kind of gives this weird idea about Jane Austen and so we don't really have a lot of accurate representations of her character at all 
Um, and this is where I think her books kind of come into play. If you look at her main characters, I feel like you get a better idea of who she was than anything we know about her. Like clever women who wanted to marry for love to the point where that they were willing to turn down marriage proposals, like Lizzie turning down Mr. Collins. But overall, like are well-liked and clever and smart as a whole. So I think that's probably what she was or what she at least tried to be. But I think that's the best idea of what we have. That's like the background on her. She was born in Steventon, Hampshire on the 16th of December in 1775. She was actually a month late. So that was kind of surprising. But her family was really excited to have her there, especially because she was going to be a future companion to her sister, of course. Her father, George Austin, was the rector of the Anglican parishes. So he was in the church and he came from an old respected and wealthy family of wool merchants. Mm. So their family was not very rich, however. His and his two sisters were orphaned as children and had to be taken in by relatives. And throughout the course of their life, they didn't have a ton of money either. So Jane did not grow up in like a super wealthy family. However, I think she was still considered a gentleman's daughter. So better than poverty. So that was kind of their whole thing. Her mother brought in a little bit of inheritance at the time of her mother's death. And they kind of moved around a little, well, a lot <laughs> based on <laughs> where her father had his jobs and what was happening at the time. In 1768, the family took up a residence in Steventon and stayed there for a while. However, I believe her father started having seizures around that time too, which oh. caused some issues. And they relied a lot on family members in order to make it through this period because of how bad her father was dealing with stuff. However, he supplemented the income by farming and teaching. They had borders in their home and they had, like I said, a very modest income. Um, at the same time, well, so I'd say like comparatively, um, blacksmiths or carpenters would be making about a hundred pounds annually, um, which is about a pound is $10 in our time. So that's the conversion rate. So a hundred pounds back then would have been about $8,000 today. So that's what a blacksmith or carpenter would make while the typical income of a gentry family. So his family was between a thousand and 5,000 pounds. So that's mm -hmm. like so $80,000. <laughs> so like a pretty reg like a pretty higher middle class, right? Yeah. So they weren't considered like extremely rich, but they were doing pretty good, which meant his daughters were allowed to be accepted into society. Um, he lived a gentleman's life, which meant his wife stayed home, educated the children and ran the household. Um, okay. And they were overall considered respectable, but they weren't going to have to worry about anyone trying to marry them for their money. Her and her sister, Cassandra, were sent to Oxford to be educated. And then they actually were sent home shortly after when they caught typhus. And Jane Austen nearly died from that. So after oh. that, they were educated from home. Until later, Jane Austen ended up attending a boarding school with her sister. It was called the Reading Abbey's Girls School. And hmm. they the school had a huge passion for theater. So they learned French, spelling, needlework, dancing, music, and drama. So they got to put on a lot of plays and then mm. do all of the other traditional gentlewoman tasks. The gentlewoman tasks. <laughs> yes. Like, like sewing and music and dancing yes. and probably a little bit of painting, but probably not a lot. 
the sisters returned home in December of 1786 because the fees got too high for the family to keep up, um, which makes sense. And then after that, Austin never moved out of her family environment after this time period. So for the rest of her life, she lived in some capacity with her siblings or her parents for the rest of her existence. The rest of her education came from her father's and her brother's. So they used a lot of the same school books that her brother's had used, which means she probably got a little bit better of an education than she would have at a girl's school. Which is yeah, very that's sad. What I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, but she got um, unfettered access to her father's library and that of a family friend. So there was huge okay. collections and a wide, varied library, and so she would read all of the time. Jane Austen actually got to use a lot of theater in her education, and all of her family and friends would put plays in the rectory barn on. Aww. So her older brother often wrote like prologues or epilogues to different plays that they did. And she Mm -hmm. would join in as a participant in those. And um, it's said that most of the plays were probably comedies, which shows how she developed, like, her satirical humor that she uses in a ton of her novels. And by the age of 12, she started writing her own dramatic writings, writing three short plays during her teenage years. Oh, cool. Yeah. So as early as 12 is when she started um, and she wrote poems, stories, um, all for her family's amusement. So they had, like, it was just a bunch of different poems or stories that she had written to amuse her family. They usually had a female lead and was just, like, a funny little rendition of something. Like, almost just, like, when you, like, as kids, like, you, like, I used to put on little plays for my family all the time. So yes, relatable. exactly. Um, one of the first, like, collection um, of things that she wrote that has actually been published as a novel now was um, a satirical novel in letters that she titled Love and Friendship that she wrote at age 14. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's a published novel now. I think there's even a movie. I haven't seen it. I don't know the plot, but that was like the first thing she ever wrote as a whole. And then she decided shortly after that that she wanted to become a professional writer. So when she was around 18 years old, she began to write longer, more sophisticated works in order to hopefully make a profit off of her writing. So in August 1792, when she was only 17, she started writing Catherine or the Bower, um, which was the early titles of Northanger Abbey. It was unfinished, however, and um, she picked up the story in uh, another early writing that she called Lady Susan Mm -hmm. that she later abandoned after that. And then she tried to write a play. And she completed it later in the 1800s, which is a comedy in six acts um, that I think has been published as a collection of her writings, but not independently of its own, but posthumously. Mm. So way later. Yeah. And then she also wrote a lot of satire or parodies on school textbook abridgments, which I think is really funny, of her favorite contemporary novel. Yeah, so she was okay. just had a really great sense of humor and was just, like, writing for her own enjoyment at the same time. Yeah, I was like, I feel like it just shows how witty she must have been. Yes. So then later on, when she was age 18 to 20, she picked up Lady Susan again and wrote it. It's described as her most ambitious and sophisticated early work. However, I don't think it's actually ever been published. Um, other oh, than really? Yeah, because it was unfinished. Unlike the rest of her works... 
the character, like the heroine in the story, is a sexual predator who uses her intelligence and charm to manipulate, betray, and abuse her lovers and friends and family. Oh, so it's like the anti-hero. Yes. And they said it's very cynical in tone. It's kind of outrageous. It just kind of shows her as an adult woman whose intelligence and force of character are greater than anyone she encounters. So it kind of just shows, in my, like, from what I can tell, of how irritated Jane Austen was by the society that she kept, that she was just way smarter than everyone else in the room, and she could tell. <laughs> so, yeah. so she kind of wrote like an anti-hero character where a heroine was able to use like her intelligence to manipulate people. <laughs> and they said it's believed to have been based on a friend that she met, um, Eliza de Foulade, which is probably not said right who ended up marrying Jane's brother, Henry, in 1797. She had lived in France during the French Revolution, and her first husband was actually guillotined in 1794. So it's believed that she took a lot of the characteristics and glamorous life and various adventures from her and then put it huh. into this story called Lady Susan. Um, also around this time, the only love interest we know of from Jane happened. So... It was a man named Thomas Langlois Lefloy, Lefroy. He admitted later on in his life that he had been in love with Jane Austen, but wrote that it was a boyish love. So she was 20 years old and he visited and he had just finished his university degree and was moving to London to train as a barrister, which I believe is a lawyer. And they probably were introduced at like a ball or another social gathering and they spent a lot of time together. Um, she wrote to her sister saying, I'm almost afraid to tell you how my Irish friend and I behaved. Imagine to yourself everything most profligate and shocking in the way of dancing and sitting down together. So they were nice. very <laughs> flirtatious with yes. one another for that time period. She also described um, that he was very gentlemanlike, good looking and a pleasant young man. And mm, then okay. five That's days nice. later, in another letter, Austin wrote that she expected an offer from her friend and said that I shall refuse him, however, unless he promises to give away his white coat. Going on to write, I will confide myself in the future to Mr. Tom Lafoy, for whom I don't give a sixpence, and refuse all others. The next day, Austin wrote, The day will come on when I will flirt my last with Tom Lafoy, and you will receive this. It will be all over. My tears flow as I write at this melancholy idea. So, however, Aww. they think that maybe she was probably satir satirizing, like, popular sentimental romantic fiction in her letters. So kind of, like, making okay. fun of herself. But it's clear that she genuinely liked him. Yeah. And, yeah, and he probably was... Like, maybe being a little bit more melodramatic about it. Yes, then. exactly. Like, saying, I love him so much, I'm going to die. You know, like, no one actually believes <laughs> 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 that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of the equivalent of that. However, they were both poor, and so his mm. family wouldn't let her marry him. She couldn't offer anything. Marriage was just unpractical for them. Like, neither of them had any money. He was dependent on his great uncle to finance his legal career. And so they just weren't able to get married. She never saw him again. Aww. And in November 1798, she wrote one last little mention to him to her sister, where she said, said she had had tea with one of his relatives and wanted desperately to ask about him, but couldn't even bring herself to raise the subject. So it just goes to show, like, how tragic it was because they were just both poor and in love, mm -hmm. but they couldn't do anything about it. Shortly after that whole experience, which is very tragic, 
Um, Jane Austen began her first full-length novel that she had early titled Eleanor and Marianne, which if you know any of the other characters of Austen's novels, you know that that came to be Sense and Sensibility. They're, they're not sure how much of the original manuscripts actually got turned into the novel because she wrote a lot of it in letters which is kind of a funny way to do it. And I kind of like that. Oh, yeah. She was like sending it to family members as she wrote it. How would you like keep track of that? Story? I know. If you're sending it in letters, being like, oh crap, I sent chapter one to this person. You know, like send it back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> However, it was published anonymously in 1811 as Sense and Sensibility. I will say like it took quite a while before Jane Austen was recognized as the author of any of her works. Oh. Because it wasn't, entirely proper for women to publish their own works yet it was but it wasn't it's complicated i'll get into it in a little bit so however it got published in 1811 um shortly after she started her second novel first impressions which was later published as pride and prejudice in 1796 Mm. She was only 21 when she completed the initial draft for Pride and Prejudice, and it was actually her family's favorite. Um, She read the work out loud to them a lot, and they loved Pride and Prejudice, which makes sense because it is very... I feel like the rest of society and (laughs) the world has also determined that that is our favorite as well. Yes, it is just a very good story. Her father actually made an attempt during this time to try and get one of her novels published, so he wrote a letter to an established publisher in London to ask if he would consider publishing First Impressions. He returned it saying, nope. And Austin probably didn't know about this effort, but following the completion of First Impressions, she returned to her early manuscript of Sense and Sensibility. Oh yeah, she returned to Sense and Sensibility again and actually revised it heavily. Oh. Yeah, and she took it out of a different format that she had had it in and moved it into a third-person narration which is something that I think the rest of her novels follow. So she edited it heavily during that time. And then after finishing the revisions of that, began writing a third novel with the working title Susan, which later turned into Northanger Abbey, which we talked about in our 19th century horror writers. Yeah. Because it was a satire on the popular Gothic novel. She was making fun of how popular Gothic novels were, which is very funny. Uh, Henry Austin offered to buy her version of Northanger Abbey that was titled Susan, paying $80 nowadays, so 10 pounds back then for the copyright. He promised early publication and even advertised the book publicly, but they didn't do anything else. So they actually never published the book and held on to the copyright for quite a while. During this time, also, her writing stopped for a while because in December 1800, her father decided to retire and they were moving to Bath, which is where everyone went to for their health at the time. And it shows up a lot in a lot of her books as well. And during this time, she didn't write a lot. A lot of people believe it's because she was unhappy But to be honest, it might have just been that she was more busy living in the city and Bath rather than in the countryside where she had more time. Um, But a lot of people like to say that she was unhappy in Bath, and so that's why she wasn't writing. But it could have been either. It might have been a mix of both. Unhappy and unable to because she had a lot more social engagements. Oh, a note here. From the years 1801 to 1804, her older sister Cassandra destroyed all of her letters for unknown reasons during this time period. So those three years, we have no idea really what happened. what she was actually thinking. Yeah. 
We know that she received her only known proposal of marriage during this time. There was a family friend whose name was Harris Biggs with her, and he proposed, and she actually accepted. Um, however, <laughs> she went back on it the next day. Oh, wow. And rejected him. It was said that he wasn't attractive. He was a large, plain-looking man who spoke little, stuttered when he spoke, was aggressive in conversation, and almost completely tactless. There was a lot of practical advantages to the marriage. He was the heir to an extensive family estate located within the area where her sisters had grown up. Um, and she would be able to provide her parents a comfortable old age, give her sister a permanent home, assist her brothers in their career. And so she was like, okay, I'll do it. But then she couldn't go through with it because she said that he just wasn't someone that she could spend her life with. Someone actually described him as it seems to have been a man very hard to like, let alone love. I guess good for her. Then. Yeah. So she couldn't sacrifice her like romanticism for practicality. So it which just, good for her. Yeah. Exactly. Um, kind of shining some light on this in 1814, she actually wrote a letter to her niece, who had asked for advice about a serious relationship, and she said that having written so much on one side of the question, I should now turn around and entreat you to not commit yourself further and to not think of accepting him unless you really do like him. Anything is to be preferred or endured rather than marrying without affection. Which is like a reoccurring theme in her books. Yes. Like none of her characters marry for practicality or even allow themselves to consider that aspect. She just had a very high idea of love and what should exist between a husband and wife. And she wanted to believe that that was possible. And so she continued to promote that. So that's why she couldn't do it. During this time, she actually started another novel called The Watsons, which centered around an invalid and impoverished clergyman and his four unmarried daughters. However, (laughs) after her father died, the personal circumstances resembled her characters in that book too closely. And so she couldn't continue writing it it just hit home a little bit too much I think at that time so their financial situation was really really bad after her father died her brother pledged to make annual contributions to the family to support his mother and sisters because you have to remember that at that time period if the husband died and the fortune didn't go to oh yeah the fortune would go to the sons and then if the sons chose not to support their mom and sisters then they were left destitute because women couldn't inherit so unmarried women and widowed women didn't have any say in anything so you're just kind of like left to the good graces of the men in your family yes and you just hope that they're good enough to be nice to you Unlike hmm. the brother in Sense and Sensibility who says tough luck and sends them off to live in a cottage. So, well, there <laughs> <yeah>. we go. <laughs> it's believed during this time period while they were living in rented quarters in Bath and then moved to a little cottage that she wrote the conclusion to Lady Susan that she had started earlier. She also during this time wrote an angry letter to Richard Crosby, the publisher who had purchased the copyright for her book and said, if you don't agree to publish it by any particular time, then um, return it so that I can find another publisher. Good for her. Yes. And he replied that he had not agreed to publish the book at any time and she could repurchase it for the 10 pounds he had paid her, which you have to remember is $80. Um, She did not have the resources to buy the copyright back at that time, but she did end up buying it later. 
back from him. Yes. So, Which is like so dumb because it was like obviously her book first. I know. And like he had purchased the copyright, but he never did anything with it. So she was like, well. Which is just a very annoying thing of just a whole conversation about artists owning their own work versus the businessmen who get mm-hmm. to decide what to do with it, even though they have no connection and tied to the art. It's fine. Exactly. But yeah. And during that time, her family kind of stayed to themselves. They didn't really entertain a lot of guests. And she continued to try and publish her books. At the time, married British women did not have legal power to sign contracts, so her mom couldn't help her out. And, of course, single women didn't either. (laughs) Um, So it was common for a woman wanting to publish to have a male relative represent her to sign the contract. Like most female authors of the time, Austin published her books anonymously. So writing at the time was considered a secondary form of activity because being a full-time writer was felt to be degrading to her femininity. So women had to publish books anonymously in order to maintain the idea that they were only publishing as a part-time job and not seeking to become what they called a literary... Yeah, a literary lioness or a celebrity through her writing. So, like, it was unfeminine to try and seek fame through your writing. But you could do it. You just couldn't want to get any recognition for it. Yes. So then this is the details of all of her books being published. So, like we talked about, Sense and Sensibility was published. It was published on commission, which means that it was at the author's financial risk. So when publishing on commission, publishers would advance the costs of publication, repay themselves as books were sold, and then charge a 10% commission for each book sold, paying the rest to the author. So Mm. if a novel did not recover its cost through sales, then the author was responsible for the cost of the books, which is awful. The alternative to selling this way was selling the copyright. So where the author received a one-time payment from the publisher for the manuscript, which occurred with Pride and Prejudice. Feels like she probably learned her lesson and was like not doing (laughs) that again. So Austin's experience with Susan, the manuscript that became Northanger Abbey, where she sold the copyright to the publisher for um, 10 pounds, which never mind. I've been saying it was $80. That's $800. So excuse me. That was $800 that they bought it from her and then told her she could buy it back for $800. I did my math wrong. Okay. Yeah. Well. So anyway, she got $800 for the copyright, but they didn't publish the book. So she had to buy it back in order to get it published. So she wasn't a huge fan, like you said, of that idea of publishing. So the next one was the final result was to do subscription so where a group of people would agree to buy a book in advance. Um, mm. However, this wasn't really an option for her because only authors who were well-known or had, like, a very influential position. Which, could... like, makes sense. Yeah. Like, how would you get people to agree to buy a book if you're, like, kind of an unknown Exactly. Writer? She was anonymous. So how is she going to do that? So she decided to sell on commission. So Sense and Sensibility appeared in October 1811 and was described as basically just being written by a lady. That's all they said. Mm. It was sold on commission. Um, So the publisher used expensive paper and set the price at 15 shillings. Reviews were favorable, and the novel became fashionable among young aristocratic opinion makers. It was fashionable for people at the time. 
and the edition actually sold out by the next two, within the next two years. So the next novels that she published, she actually did in larger editions than was normal for that period, which meant that she was putting out a lot more risk for the publisher and the novelist. Usually, mm-hmm. most novels were published in editions of 500 copies or less. However, she ended up doing editions of 750 to 800 in copies. This was because most of the time, her novels ended up having to be reprinted because demand mm. continued for the book. Well, there we go. <laughs> yeah. So they printed 750 copies of Sense and Sensibility and about 2,000 copies of Emma, which was her largest run. Um, wow. They're not sure whether or not this was Austin's decision or if it was the publisher's decision, but the idea of running them on commission worked out really well for them because they were able to produce larger editions and they actually made more money off of it. Um, for example, Austin made 140 pounds, which is about, the math is weird. So it's about 9,000 to 11,000 US dollars today. Okay. From Sense and Sensibility, which gave her a lot of financial independence, as you can imagine, when you have an influx of $11,000 coming in. Yeah. <laughs> so after the success of Sense and Sensibility, all of her novels following were basically titled by the author of Sense and Sensibility, which makes sense. Mm, So during her lifetime, actually, her name never appeared on any of her books. So that's a little side note. Even after all that success. Yeah. They were doing really well, but they never put her name on them. So then this publisher is like, okay, let's publish Pride and Prejudice, which was a revision of First Impressions, but Uh I want to buy the copyright. So this is one of the only times she did this. She sold the copyright of Pride and Prejudice to them for 110 pounds, which nowadays is $8,800. So she made $8,800 off of it. However, the book was so widely accepted. He advertised it very widely. It was immediate success. It had very favorable reviews and sold extremely well. So had she sold it on commission, she would have made $38,000. Which, by the way, was twice her father's annual income. Yeah, just from the one book. Yep. Um, So by October 1813, they were selling a second edition of Pride and Prejudice because of how popular it was. And she didn't get any credit for that because she had sold the copyright. Mm Mm-hmm. And they just paid her up front for it. Yep. Oh, that pains my soul. I know. So she had 30 thousand dollars that she would have earned if she would have done it on commission and it's like it's not even just like about the money it's just it just annoys me so much that it's like she's obviously an amazing writer and she's just not getting like the compensation for her art like you know what i mean like it's Mm -hmm. it's so much more the principle than the money but just the fact that the money is such a big factor just makes it that much more painful i know it's really sad (laughs) and it's just depressing because it's like that's a lot of money thirty thousand dollars that you missed out on it could have helped her and her family price so much yep we're gonna take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists okay well today um on instagram i am shouting out um actually an author so perfect um, her Instagram name is Real Happy Daughter, 
And um, the reason why I found her is I actually think I found her like through a giveaway that like a company I was following was doing where it's like, oh, if you follow, you know, all these people, you'll be entered. So I Mm -hmm. followed her. And then on my personal account, I kind of stumbled on one of her posts that um, I actually shared on our More Than Amuse Instagram. So I saw her on the on our personal my personal page. Then I was like, oh, got to hop over to that More Than Amuse account and share it because it was perfect Mm -hmm. Um, just because she talks about you know, examples of internalized misogyny in the media, which is, of course, what we talked about last week here on the podcast. Anyways, so I've just been reintroduced to her, but she has really great content. Um, And her bio, it says that um, she is empowering girls through photography and words. And she has a book out that's called Body Positive, A Guide to Loving Your Body, which is really great. I really love that. Um, so yeah, go check her out again. It's real happy daughter. It's Emily Lauren. That's her actual name. Um, but you know, her Instagram is real happy daughter. Like I said, she has really great content. Um, it's just like, I, you know, went through her Instagram and like stalked her after I, you know, realized, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. saw that post today and she's really great. Um, and of course you can check out that book she wrote about, um, a guide to loving your body, which is obviously really great. That's awesome. So I found this illustrator through the Instagram discover page which is funny because I never open it but the one time I did I found someone so maybe I should look at it more often (laughs) for real Um, yeah her name is Laura and I'm gonna say it wrong but do me true okay so I found yeah I'll spell her last name so it's d-u-m-i-t-r-i-u um but she is an illustrator and she does these wonderful portraits of people um, she was doing the zodiacs as mermaids, and she's also oh, done they're like so cute. Yeah, they're really cute. <gasps> I love them. Okay, yes, she's like amazing. Classic little portraits. I love them. So, yeah, go check her out. Um, she's done a lot of people from like media to movies that she watches. Um, so go look at them. It's yeah, they're beautiful. They're really beautiful. And she posts a lot of process videos, which are my favorite. Oh, I love those. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So if you need to fall asleep at night, go watch her draw because it's so calming. (laughs) Yeah, honestly. And then, of course, if you are an artist or if you know an artist um, that you think would be worthy and should be shouted out, um, DM us on Instagram. Um, I love finding, obviously, new people. And Mm -hmm. the more we can find, the better. So let us know. We're always on the hunt. Always so on the hunt. Help us out. All right, now back to the show. The next one shortly after that, a year later, was Mansfield Park. Um, it was ignored by a lot of the reviewers, but the readers really, really loved it. So all copies hmm. of the book were sold within six months. And she actually earned more money from Mansfield Park than any of her other novels. Which is crazy because I... I personally don't know that one. It's so. sad. I will give a short synopsis of all of them at the end just for people who are curious. But yeah, it it's not my favorite. So it's kind of crazy that she earned more. But I think it's partially just because of the copyright selling of the other one. Because I think she would have made the most off of Pride Prime and Prejudice if yeah. it hadn't have been for that. So kind of a funny thing that happened at this time, too, is that unknown to Jane Austen, her novels were actually being translated into French. And published oh. in cheaply produced pirated versions. 
<laughs> Wait, no way. <laughs> yeah, people are taking them and translating them into France, Fr- French ugh, and then selling them. And they were like pirated versions of the novels, which is really hilarious. However, this often radically altered her plots and characters because of oh. the French translation wasn't very good. <laughs> and it probably wasn't like an official good translation. No. You know, like consulting the author to yeah. make sure everything was getting. <laughs> and she wasn't getting anything off of that like she didn't make anything they were imitations of her work basically but that's kind of an example of how far reaching her work was that it was to the point where it was being pirated (laughs) and copied yeah I mean like obviously you would hate to get your work copied but it's like a weird form of flattery exactly Um, also at the time the prince regent admired her novels and kept a set at each of his residences so he had a set of all of her novels And the Prince Regent's librarian um, even told Jane Austen that she should dedicate her forthcoming novel to the prince. Um, Wow. (laughs) She didn't like him, but she couldn't refuse the request because of how popular he was. I mean, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but she really disapproved of him because of his womanizing, gambling, drinking, and just disreputable behavior. So (laughs) she Mm -hmm. actually wrote a plan for a novel that was... Um, going to be kind of based on him and get like revenge for all of the oh, like no letters she had gotten but it never happened which is a bummer because it would have been funny so her next novel was emma which i love and if you have not seen i'll i'll tell the plot i'll talk all I about him later seen emma yeah so i need to emma is really really good so in mid-1815 she published emma and a second edition of mansfield park at the same time um, Emma sold really well, but the new edition of Mansfield Park did poorly, um, probably because mm. most of the readers who had wanted to read it already did. So the failure offset most of the income from Emma, so she didn't make as much off of Emma as she could have. And then um, that's the last of her novels that were published during her lifetime. However, there is a note that the book Persuasion um, that she had began while they were preparing Emma for publication, um, she had initially called it the Elliot's. And it's like, it was also based on some earlier writings as well. Um, She completed her first draft in July 1816 and then um, was forced to postpone publishing them based on family financial troubles. Um, Obviously, commission was expensive, so they didn't Mm. have as much money to like put into that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And her brother, who was supporting the family, his bank failed in March 1816. So he lost all of his assets. He was deeply in debt. He owed a bunch of people a bunch of money, and he couldn't afford to support the mother and sisters. So they got really, really poor. Anyway, so she finished it, but it was published after her death. Um, She actually died really, really early. She was feeling unwell by early 1816, but ignored the warning signs. However, it began to cause unmistakable slow deterioration with her. They think it might have been, like, Addison's disease or Hodgkin's lymphoma, but they don't really know what it was. Obviously, medical um, experience and knowledge wasn't great at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And what caused it to be even worse is when her uncle died and left his entire fortune to his wife, he effectively disinherited all of his relatives. So she went Mm. into shock, and they think it caused an early more early problems than it otherwise would have. So even while she was ill, she continued to write just slower and not as fast as she had been before. 
She was unhappy with the ending of the Elliots, which turned into Persuasion, so she rewrote the final two chapters um, right before she died and actually started another writing as well, um, stopping 12 chapters in before she got too sick to continue. Um, actually, in this novel, it's called Sandington. The heroine was an en- energetic invalid. So <laughs> Austin was mocking hypochondriacs and like making fun of the fact that she was sick, even like on her deathbed. She's a very self-deprecating, self-aware person. It oh, sounds yes. Like. like she would have been like the queen of sarcastic humor nowadays. Yes. Yeah. Shortly after that, however, her illness got so bad that she couldn't even walk and she lacked a lot of energy. By mid-April, she was confined to her bed. um, And they said by the time she was near death, it was like agonizing pain. So she like was pretty much very thrilled to die, which is extremely sad. So she passed away on July 18th, 1817 at the age of 41. So not very old. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very young. Yeah. Um, They said it was a great little funeral. Um, However, they didn't mention anything about her achievements as the writer. They just said that they enjoyed the extraordinary endowments of her mind, which is interesting. Mm. It's weird that, like, even in her immediate death, like, it's not like immediate credit was given. Yeah. However, after her death, her sister and brothers arranged for the publication of her book Persuasion in Northanger Abbey as a set. And they actually, Mm. for the first time, identified her as the author of the novels. So they wrote a very beautiful, they called it a loving and polished eulogy for her. Um, And it sold really well with only 321 copies remaining at the end of the next year, which was really good. Oh, that is nice. Yep. And then even though her novels went out of print for a short while after that, they were still being read through copies in private libraries and circulating libraries. And there was a lot of early admirers of her. There's even people started writing fan fiction about her because now that she was dead, they would write stories about her as a person. It's almost like the mystery of her kind of. Yes. So she became really, really popular. Um, And in 1832, Richard Bentley purchased the remaining copies to all of her novels and ended up publishing five illustrated volumes as a part of his standard novel series. And then in 1833, they released the first collection editions, collected edition of her works. And since Mm. then, so since 1833, her novels have never gone out of print. Wow. So kind of crazy. And if you haven't read Austin or seen any of the movies, you're probably wondering, like, why is everyone so obsessed with these stories? And basically, it's because Jane Austen was the first person who ever wrote anything like what she wrote. At the time, gothic fiction was really popular. So it was very, like, overly dramatic. Um, Yeah. Maybe, like, overly terrifying or scary or whatever. Also, romanticism was very high, so lots of, like, flowerly, over-the-top dramatic love stories Mm -hmm. were also being written, Um, so nothing was really realistic. And so at the time, instead of writing about all of that, she wrote about regular stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. It's basically the definition of realistic fiction during that time, instead of being, like, sentimental or, like overly flowery hers were just like very normal original realistic fiction yeah just very very normal stories about things that everyone could relate to with characters that everyone loved and stories that were just wonderful but like normal set in their world i like that 
So one of the other things that she did is that she also phrased thoughts and feelings of her characters in a way that nobody had been able to do before. The way that she wrote their dialogue showed more emotion within the character than anyone else had been able to do in a novel before. And her third-person narrator gave more context to the situation than a lot of other novels had done that way. It's such fun. Okay, cool. It's like hard to talk about it because obviously there's tons of books that are written in this style now. But it's almost like we like don't even re- realize or remember that like it had to be a style that was invented. Yes, exactly. And like she invented this style. So I honestly think that she is the foundation of romantic literature for wow everything that we've ever had <laughs> since then. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of crazy, but it's probably the truth i'm not an english major but from what i can tell (laughs) it's true this is probably the case yeah they also really appreciated like the romantic part of it but not like the overly flowery part of it like i said so her characters were romantic Mm -hmm. they married for love but it was very realistic at the same time and yeah yeah just able to really like it's almost like these stories could happen in the real world exactly yeah and reviewers even during her time period were very very favorable of her novels and of course they've gotten even more popular after her death so that's kind of the whole thing there obviously a lot of fan clubs happened at the time period too which i think is really funny that there would have been like little fan clubs of jane austen fans um which is hilarious (laughs) and then of course there was a lot of people who didn't like it either but However, that happens everywhere, and Jane Austen continued to triumph despite all of it. Now, I'm going to give you a little guide to the books and movie renditions, because I think with my mother and my experience over my childhood and lifetime, I can give you some quick little (laughs) points that you can hit on. So, we'll start out with Pride and Prejudice, which, of course, is a classic. And if you were not forced to read it in English class, you should definitely read it now. Force yourself to read it now. Yeah, it's it's a classic, guys, and not a boring classic. It's actually very entertaining. <laughs> um, it was set in rural England in the 19th century and follows the Bennett family, which is a family of five daughters, and they're all very, very different. <laughs> um, the mother is very anxious to see her daughters married, and that's kind of her whole reason for living. That's all she wants because with a family of five daughters and no sons, the family estate is going to be inherited by a cousin when her husband dies. So Mm. at the beginning of the novel, a newly arrived gentleman comes to town named Charles Bingley and takes an immediate interest with the eldest Bennett daughter, Jane, who's beautiful and very shy. And then his friend, Fitzwilliam Darcy, and her second daughter, Elizabeth, is less cordial. He's basically very rude right off from the beginning, and Elizabeth kind of hates him from the very start. And they don't seem to be very fond of each other, but they are intrigued Mm -hmm. by each other. And then over a time period, they come to realize that all of their problems with each other was just a bunch of miscommunication, and it was uh, on account of pride and prejudice that held them apart. Get it? (laughs) The title. And, Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. And then a bunch of other things happen that are misfortunate and funny and hilarious because her younger sisters are the worst. Her sister Lydia literally gives me pain because she's just so awful. <laughs> so. Yes. But in the end, of course, it ends happily. But I won't ruin it, even though it's 
like 100 years old. <laughs> yeah, like if you don't know it by now, like, hmm, but go read it if you don't. Yes. So, of course, I would recommend first off the 2005 version of Pride and Prejudice um, with Kara Knightley in it. It's just very approachable and yet like very charming. I don't think it's hard to understand at all. It's just a really, really beautiful and the music stunning. And oh, yeah, it's so beautiful. We talked about it. It's beautiful. So go watch that one if you're looking for like an early entry into it. If you want a more play by play, like direct interpretation of the book. There is an English adaptation from very early on with Colin Firth that Uh is really popular. That one's really long. It's a two-disc one. Yeah, it's really long. But basically, if you were to watch that one and the Keira Knightley one, you get the entire context of the book between the two. There's not like a single detail left out. So that has everything in it. And you would understand the entire plot of Pride and Prejudice. So if you don't want to read, you can just go watch both of those movies and get <laughs> yeah. covered. And you could totally pretend that you read the book and no one would think anything of it because you've no got all of know. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for a more alternative, funny version of it, there's one called Bride and Prejudice that's a Bollywood version. It's so cute, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> Have you seen the, I don't know, well, I don't know if you're going to talk about it, but the Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? Yes. I was going to bring that up, Okay, too. okay, okay. Yeah. Yes. That, that one is fun. very loose, of course. But well, yes. yeah, <laughs> but once you understand the plot, like if you watch the first two that I mentioned, then the rest of these will be more charming and funny to you because you'll get the plot of Pride and Prejudice. Yes, so totally. that's why I recommend it. But yeah, Pride and Prejudice, the Bollywood version, hilarious, so cute, so funny. Like definitely watch that one if you're already in love with the plot, and then the Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, and yeah I don't even know that version, so yeah. I want to go watch it. It's actually it's for rent right now on Amazon Prime Ooh. for only three dollars, or oh, on YouTube nice. for only three dollars. So, if you want to go watch a funny little version of Pride and Prejudice, then do it. Yeah, but obviously it's been remade a million times. I'm not going to talk about every single version of Pride and Prejudice because we'd be here forever. There's also an LDS version. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. So if you want like a Mormon Pride and Prejudice, then they've got that too. Bet you didn't know that was something you needed. (laughs) It's a thing. Um, And I think even the movie, I haven't seen it, but Bridget Jones's Diary. um, It's also based on Pride and Prejudice, I believe. So... It's been remade a lot. So the next one is my second favorite. So, Emma, it might actually be my favorite Jane Austen story. I need to see it. Which is surprising. There was recently a new movie out for it, wasn't it? There was. I watched it last night. It's fantastic. Um, I will say it's not as accurate as some of the others, but it it's so good. They paid more attention to the music and the way that it's filmed, and it's just really, really cute. There are two other ver- versions that are more accurate, and I tend to actually blend the other two in my brain. I watched Emma yesterday, and I literally was blending the two other versions I had seen together <laughs> into like okay. one movie. Like the characters that I liked better from one and the characters that I liked better from the other. It's <laughs> very it. confusing. However, there is one with Gwyneth Paltrow as Emma mm. in 1996 and that one's pretty accurate from what I remember. However, if you want the most accurate rendition, there's one with a brunette Emma. Let me see if I can find what year that was. It makes sense that in most of them she's blonde because it just fits. It fits Emma Woodhouse really well. Oh, let me share the plot of Emma really quick. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah. For I don't know it. who don't know, Emma is... So one of the most famous introductions of in fiction is actually the introduction to Emma Woodhouse's character. So I'm going to read it really quick. Okay. Um, it says, Emma Woodhouse, handsome, clever, and rich with a comfortable home and happy disposition, seemed to unite some of the best blessings of existence and had lived nearly 21 years in the world with very little to distress or vex her. So mm. <laughs> she's beautiful. She's wealthy. She's smart. However, she's also she's a little bit spoiled, meddlesome, and a little self-deluded. So she makes, like, a beautifully flawed character where you, like, adore her, but you're kind of irritated with her at the same time. I like that. Yeah. Um, actually, throughout the almost the entirety of the novel, she's convinced that she's never going to get married, but she believes that she's an excellent matchmaker. So Ooh. she... Um, arranges a marriage between her former governess and the widower that lives in town. But actually all she did was introduce them, but she believes that that was <laughs> the marriage was all they're doing anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And then ends up um, deciding that she's going to set up one other couple, um, the village pastor or vicar, Mr. Elton and her friend that she has taken under her wing and is kind of adopted as like a little, Okay. To occupy her time. Um, however, like her father is hilarious. He's like constantly concerned that they're getting sick. He meets with his doctor like every day. And so his dialogue in the book is like so funny. And then um, her brother in law's brother. Does that make sense? So her sister got yes. married. And then his older brother is um, her like her dear friend named Mr. Knightley. And he. Um, he gets mad at her a lot um, throughout the course of the novel for just a bunch of different stuff that she does. So it's super cute. Actually, if you have seen Clueless, Clueless is the plot of Emma. It's based on Emma. Oh. Just a modern rendition. Oh, no way. Okay, yeah. cool. So once you've seen Emma, then Clueless will make even more sense because then you'll be like, oh, I see all of the parallels to it. Yeah. And it's really funny. But yes, the most recent movie, the 2020 version, phenomenal. Like, adore it. The videography, the characters, they're all really, really funny. Um, mm -hmm. However, they don't explain a lot of the plot points. So if you're looking for an earlier version, it's the DR Mood Lawrence versions. Mm. Um, Kate Beckinsale is Emma. And okay. she actually does a really good job. So I would say that one's probably the most accurate and then watch the new one because it's really fun. And then, of course, you can always go watch Clueless one more time. <laughs> you can just go watch Clueless. Because <laughs> yeah, that's always a good idea. Yeah. So those are probably the most popular. They've been retold multiple different times. Um, next would be her lesser known novels. And they have less movie portrayals. Um, the next one's Sense and Sensibility. It mm, tells yes. the story of the impoverished Dashwood family, um, specifically the two older sisters, Marianne and Eleanor. And um, they are destitute because their father dies and all of the money gets left to their half-brother, John. And his wife is horrible. And so even though he's instructed on the deathbed to take care of his sisters, he doesn't listen and... Um, they all have to move to a little cottage in Devonshire and live out there. And it's basically the story of them, like, 
she has she like falls in love with a guy before they leave and then she like hears all these rumors about him and like it's just how mm. they deal with their situation in life even though they were like very wealthy and okay. um like the different misfortunes of love that happened to them um both of the characters are very charming and likable and um the ending's really good like they both end up happy so okay good <laughs> another really good one to watch there's a 1995 version that my mom owns that I watched. Um, it looks like you can also rent it on YouTube. And it's mm. just Sense and Sensibility. It's not like overly beautifully f- done film work or anything. But, but it's a good portrayal of the show. Of the book, yes. I mean. And one of the romantic interests is Snape. So yeah. <laughs> if you want to watch him in something different than he is in Sense and Sensibility is Colonel Brandon. So that's another fun one. Okay. And then we're to my last, the last two and actually my least favorites of her her books. (laughs) I actually refuse to read either of these and people are probably going to hate me for this, but I'm sorry. They're too depressing. So Uh, that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the first one is Northanger Abbey, which you know is the parody of Gothic novels. Um, Mm -hmm. So Catherine Moreland is, um, uh, a young child who's obsessed with reading gothic novels like Anne Radcliffe's Mysteries of Udolpho and mm-hmm. then um, she gets invited by some neighbors because she's one of ten children so mm-hmm. they obviously had to pawn off their kids to other people because they didn't have enough time or money <laughs> to pay attention to all of them um, so she goes and is into society and meets this other family that she loves and so they invite her to stay with them at an abbey and because of all of her novel reading she's like oh I'm gonna go live out like a gothic novel and it's gonna be like spooky and thrilling and actually Mm -hmm. when she gets there it's like a very pleasant home oh Um, love it but her imagine runs away with her because there is a mysterious suite of rooms that no one ever enters and she finds out that they belonged to the late Mrs. Tilney like the general's wife and she comes up with this idea that he must have murdered her or imprisoned her in the chamber and is like keeping her captive and anyway her imagine gets a, imagination gets away with her and it's kind of confusing because it's like satire of gothic novels at the time that like if you haven't read then it doesn't make sense yeah but yeah she just ends up being like a little nuts and lame and then realizes all along that she was stupid and falls in love there you go (laughs) well there you go (laughs) so if you really like gothic novels maybe you'll be obsessed with it um there is a 2007 version of the movie i don't think i've seen i think i watched it once like i said i'm not overly fond of these ones so i haven't Mm -hmm. seen as many of them so sorry if there's anyone out there that's obsessed with northanger abbey and i'm ruining your dreams but yeah I haven't seen it. Crap, I skipped Persuasion. I'll do that at the end. That's a good one, too. But anyway, so that's Northanger Abbey. Then you have Mansfield Park, which is by far the saddest and most serious of her books. It's about Fanny Price, who at age 10 is sent from her poor family to go live at Mansfield Park. Um, And they have four children, and all of them are mean to her except for one of them. And then this guy comes to visit and he decides that while he's there, he's going to make Fanny fall in love with him for fun. And yeah, they basically just mistreat her the entire time. They're super rude. 
Um, but it does turn out good. Anyway, so that's that one. <laughs> We're Sorry. not going to spend, waste any time on it. <laughs> yeah, it's just sad. But it looks like it's on Amazon Prime as well. So there's a version, Mansfield Park. I don't know what year it was made because it doesn't tell me. Oh, there's another Mansfield Park in 1999. And you can rent that one. And that one looks a little bit more modern. So maybe it would be a good movie to watch. Maybe I'll give it a shot this week. But last but not least is Persuasion, which is another just lovely little story. Um, it's about Anne Elliot and Captain Frederick Wentworth. So eight, it starts with the novel. Well, it talks about eight years prior in the book. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? So yeah, eight okay. years earlier, she was persuaded not to marry Captain Wentworth when he proposed because he didn't have enough money for her high fortune and society level and everything. Um, however, since then, her family has basically fallen into poverty, <laughs> um, and he returns from the Napoleonic Wars with prize money and social accept- acceptability of naval rank. So he's now mm. like an eligible suitor, and she's impoverished. And then she basically ah. has to like deal with the fact that she refused him because she didn't have enough money. But now he has all the money and she doesn't have any and she's still in love with him. Mm, Okay. So, yeah, a fun little Jane Austen worthy dilemma, right? Um, Yes, absolutely. Yes. And I haven't seen this one recently either, but there is a 2007 version that I do believe we own as well as I think another one that has been made. So those are her novels. And then really quickly... We're going to talk about Austin Land. Have you heard of that? <gasps> I, yes. <laughs> so after you've read at least one of these or watched all the movies or something and you get the obsession of Jane Austen and why everyone's yeah. obsessed with her, then you can go read the book, which I have read and I read at like age 16 and I loved it. The book Austin Land, which is about a woman who's so obsessed with Mr. Darcy <laughs> that she takes a vacation to where you pretend to be a character in a Jane Austen novel and actors pretend to court you. Mm-hmm. And there's also a movie that's hilarious. I've so. seen the movie. I haven't read the book, but I have <laughs> seen the movie and I loved it. <laughs> the movie is a very accurate representation of the book. They don't really leave a lot out. It's very it's good. It's so funny. It's yeah. been a long time since I've seen it, but I remember being thoroughly entertained. <laughs> it's a good one. So yeah, so after you understand the fanaticism of Jane Austen fans, you can go watch the 2013 movie. It's Um, pretty good. Yeah, it's really, really good. So yeah, that's like your little guide to Jane Austen books and movies. Um, There's also a movie based on Jane Austen's life called Becoming Jane. But like I said, we don't know enough about her for it to be accurate. So most Mm. of it's made up, probably. Well... That's cool. I know. That's Jane Austen. It's such good content, guys. Like, if you're interested in entering some little old-fashioned romance novels into your life, like, these are the ones to do it with. I li- While you were talking, I found Pride and Prejudice on Spotify. I mm-hmm. will be starting the five-hour, ten-hour episode, whichever oh, one, good. tomorrow during work. And I'm very excited to listen yeah, to Pride and Prejudice. You should be. No, it's so good. They're way more entertaining than I think anyone gives them credit for. Um, Yeah. She's a very, very witty writer, especially Emma. Emma is like a total comedy. So like I... Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm like laughing out loud constantly. So it is longer, but it's like 
it is Good. definitely a comedy. So, <laughs> okay, cool. What I think is so cool about Jane Austen is it's like, I feel like what she did so well was like, she pointed out just how ridiculous situations were because it was like realistic fiction. Right. Yep. And mm-hmm. so she shows, for example, like the one I'm the most familiar with is of course, Pride and Prejudice. Like Elizabeth Bennett is forced to marry Mr. Collins so that basically their family gets to keep their estate. So it doesn't go to Mr. Collins, who's mm-hmm. like a complete outsider in their family is such a ridiculous man that she would not want to marry, you know? Yeah. So it's almost like, so she it refuses. Just, and then her mom's like pissed at her. Cause she's like, how exactly. dare you now we're going to be destitute. <laughs> yeah. And I think it shows. Cause it's like, if that's what the rules were, then it almost like gives people out. Like it's a great way to like provide commentary on society, but almost like in a really sneaky way that like just makes people sympathize with those characters. And then also just be like, wait, that's stupid. You Mm -hmm. know, like I feel like it's like a very clever way to do it. And I don't even know if she was like even trying to make like strong, you know, statements about the, her place in society though. I'm obviously there were some brace trends. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because like she was writing about how ridiculous this all was. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I just think it's cool. And I feel like it, that's why it was so effective. Exactly. Yeah. No, there's definitely been like a lot of studies on like how her stuff is like a commentary on 19th century, like English mm-hmm. feminism, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and like the different scenarios and stuff that she points out, it usually always points to the fact that like women got the short end of the stick over and mm-hmm. over and over again. Like they don't get money. They don't get like all this other stuff. And so the only thing she was able to give her characters was that they were able to marry for love. Like, that was the only luxury allotted. Like, well, at <laughs> least they get to... Yeah, I yeah. love that. <laughs> so, yeah. But on top of, like, being great commentaries on all of it, they're wonderfully entertaining stories that, like, continue to be relatable to people, like, so much later. Like, it's crazy that all of us can still relate to characters within a Jane Austen novel when those yeah. were written, like, so long ago. But I love it. Yeah, I do too. They're great plots, great characters. She definitely was a fantastic writer. And as I'll put in the title, I would definitely say with 100% surety that Jane Austen is like the greatest romance author of all time. Oh, yeah. I don't think anyone else has accomplished her level of acclaim or Well, and just like else. the classicness mm-hmm. of it all. That's Jane Austen. I'm glad we got to cover like a classic. She's Me definitely too. not like unknown as much as a lot of our others but I think she's underrated so yeah I agree mm-hmm. and now it's like inspiring me to go back and like you said like actually read these books because it's like one yeah. of those things where it's like I know they're good but I just like maybe haven't really taken the time <laughs> to dive into them even though like I recognize that it's like really good you know what I mean yeah no same I totally get it because it's like when you know the plot so well you're like I don't really need to you know what I mean Mm -hmm. but they're actually like there's a reason why they're so acclaimed like yeah she she knew what she was doing let's say that and now I'm like googling box sets of her books online because I'm like "Hmm, maybe I should just get all of them (laughs) get like a pretty one I'm sure there's there's, like beautiful collectors ones really pretty ones yeah and it's nice mm. because, like, even though um, she was, like, a very, she's a very well-known and accomplished author, um, it's sad that she died at 40 because we only have, like, six novels. But at the same mm-hmm. time, it makes it really easy for you to finish, like, all of her collected works because there's only six of them. So 
it's not impossible to read all of Jane Austen's books, whereas with a lot of other classical authors, you wouldn't have a chance. It's not like you're sitting down to read all of Shakespeare's plays. So, yeah, for real. You know. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. I yeah. like that. It makes it a little bit easier. So you can if you want. Or you can just read the ones that I said are better, and you can forget about Northanger Abbey and Mansfield Park because they're depressing. There you go. There we go. <laughs> they're, they're not real. <laughs> they are real. <sighs> they're just sad. I don't yeah. like sad books. Yeah, that's fair. I like yeah. a good happy book. Mansfield Park is probably better than I'm giving it credit for. Same with Northanger Abbey. They both end happy. All of her books end happy. So they've got that going for them. That's just, good. So if they're sad in the moment, at least you know it's it'll end in a happy yes. note. They all end happy. All happy endings. No, no cliffhangers. You get exactly what you need out of like a romance novel in any of her books. So Cool. Well, yeah, like I said, I'm glad that we covered a, a classic. Mm -hmm. Obviously can't go wrong. And like I said, it just really re-inspires me to go back and like finally consume the media from these like obviously amazing women artists that I yes. know I should be consuming <laughs> I know same I like it's time it's time yep. starting tomorrow there's my resolution and promise to all of you that by the time this episode comes out I will have listened to at least some of Pride and Prejudice <laughs> and it was so easy it only took me like three days of because I oh, work perfect. from home so and then I was done so if you're True, in the same position insane. as me, then it's super easy and you can get through it really quick. It's only 10 hours of listening and Emma's only 15. So at least read those two. Go read Jane Austen. Let's all give her a little bit more credit in this contemporary era. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in today. As per usual, check us out on Instagram, which is morethanamused.podcast. Or if you have any commentary or anything you'd like to add, you're always welcome to email us, which is just morethanamused.podcast podcast at gmail.com um mm -hmm. if you would care to leave a review that is always really helpful um as far as us continuing to do this and helping us grow um and of course along with that if you know any fellow artists in your life that you think would benefit from hearing this and learning more about the forgotten or underrated or in this case underappreciated from yes. my end um <laughs> go ahead and share that with them just so we can spread the good word of forgotten female artists definitely that's everything that we're trying to do here just to promote and mm -hmm. educate and talk more about those female artists that deserve more credit and yeah come join us on instagram and tiktok we've been upping our content oh, yeah. game and I know, it's we've, been really fun we have set goals to be more consistent so we'll be more active yes. on there it'll be more fun definitely we've got some reels tiktoks funny posts Especially for this one, you guys are not even prepared for the collection of memes I have to post in stories. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I'm very excited for your Jane Austen memes that we, you have prepared. <laughs> so yeah, just Amazing. prepare yourselves for some really fun content this week and more. Yep, for weeks to come and fun Perfect. things in the future. So come join yeah. us. Be a part of More Than a Muse. We're happy to have you here. All right. Well, cool. We will talk to you then next week. Yes, we will. Bye, everyone. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. 
Rock. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.